Hey there, folks. Welcome back to another episode of Classic Camera Revival. And today we have someone here on the hot seat, a man who needs no introduction, but we're going to introduce him anyways. The man behind the curtain of the amazing Studio C41 one-hour podcast, YouTube channel, and website, Mr. Bill Manning. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto-Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. Okay, so Bill Manning, welcome to the podcast. And it's been a while that we've wanted you on our show after doing the amazing roundtable in December. Was it December? Yeah, it was. It was that last podcast episode of 2020. <laughs> Losing track of time here. It's June now. I know, time, dude. Time, time loses all meaning now. It's just, yes. it's just now. It is. <laughs> so, the one question we've been asking everyone, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, geez. Um, I'll start with... Um, so, I'm based out of Atlanta. I'm wedding headshot. Uh, photographer and uh, it has been an interesting journey uh, for the first 10 years of a being a photographer um, you know it's kind of funny I look at myself and compare myself to like Richard Avedon and like Ansel Adams and like even Clyde Butcher is like a huge fan of me you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll definitely dive into having a conversation about him but like these are photographers that have decades of experience under the belt. And like, I'm just a measly 10 years, you know? And like, uh, I, uh, Clyde was telling me, you know, he's like, Oh, how long have you been a photographer? And I'm like, you know, only 10 years. And he's like, you haven't even like, you're not even like peaking. You're like down here. Right. You know, but in a way that's really humbling. Right. Cause you know, I, I have this constant struggle to want to learn. And, and uh, something that I'm sure will kind of open this can of worms and everything is, you know, uh, I love trying new things. I, I, I love the concept of learning from failure and all that stuff. So, so my first 10 years as a photographer right now is just learning and wanting to be, uh, you know, better than the day before or whatnot. So like, as far as like me, you know, being an established photographer or anything along those lines, like it just doesn't it's nonsense to me in all honesty. But um, I think the things that have gotten really interesting me as a photographer and my journey is maybe like the last four to five years where I've really uh, started transitioning from digital to, to analog. And, um, and I think like the first year was me going to the local lab. We have uh, down here in Atlanta, we have, you know, a very small handful of, of actual wet labs and um and the owner of the lab you know processed my first roll of film it was on a a yashica 635 um the first roll of film i was like hey what do you recommend just give me something i don't even know he gave me a roll of velvia 100 or velvia they can't remember and uh, i was like all right cool so i took that loaded it up into my yashica 635 and like did a couple shots on it and so the Yashica 635 was a gift for me from a friend, family friend who passed away. And he knew I was really big into photography in general. So he, he left them for me. 
and then the gears were all jammed up and everything. So I got them CLA'd and all that stuff and uh, got sh fired my first shots. I metered her down on my digital SLR, said, okay, I'll just match these settings into my uh, Yashica and then I don't know, we'll see what happens. So I took it to the lab, dropped it off, and then they said it was ready. I came back to pick it up and um, just blown away. And at that moment, when I was looking at these images, I was like, this is a camera that was like made in the 1950s. How does it look like something that was shot on a digital SLR? Like it just, it didn't make sense to me. And like, that was that moment that like, this was something really special to me because like it evoked a, a, a reaction for me, right? Something that I have not felt as a photographer for a very long time. And from that point on, it was like, that was my gateway drug. Like, I mean, it just like, I mean, you got the, you see the wall full of cameras over here and uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm hooked. Right. And, um, and so at that point it was like, I wanted to learn more and, you know, overexposed rolls. I shot, you know, I did, I did the whole gamut of errors and problems. Right. You know, I had a camera that had a sticky shutter and like had, you know, rolls that were processed that had a bar in the middle of the frame, you know, like I, I did it all right. Um, and they were disheartening, but at something about it was I, I learned from that experience. And then what I realized is I wanted to talk about that experience. And, um, that was the time when at Dunwoody Photo, the, lo the local lab here in Atlanta, I said, Hey guys, I've been loitering here. Um, you know, I'm late for my lunch period, my lunch break from work, uh, pretty much like every day. And, um, <laughs> and I was like, what, what do you guys think about like starting a podcast and talking about this? And that was in 2017. And, uh, they say, yeah, let's go talk about it. So uh, Stephen, myself, and the, the owner of the lab, Michael, we went to a, a local restaurant, and we were there for, like, almost four hours. And, like, when we left that dinner, and we were like, if we can be here for four hours and talk about everything about film, we can do a podcast on it. And the first few episodes were terrible. I, honestly, I mean, geez, the first 20 episodes, like, I just really – you know, and this is that concept of me wanting to get better and better and better where we did the first couple episodes. I started shamelessly plugging it in uh, the film photographers chat on Facebook groups and just like, hey, drop the new episode and then just drop it in there. And then, you know, I took in feedback from people and, you know, I have a bit of an IT background. So I listened to the feedback that people provided me and they're like, I'll do the audio. Like, this is horrible. You need to improve your mic etiquette. Um, there were people that were saying like 90% of it was geek talk in general, like star Wars and stuff like that had nothing to do with, with film photography for like 20 minutes. And so like at that point I was taking that feedback and rather than me shutting down, I looked at that and said, how can I make this better? How do I refine it? And that's part of the experience I have is being working with software developers and stuff like that. You take that feedback and you improve on it. And so, with Studio C41, it was a constant, you know, let me do this. And I know people here, let me interview them. Hey, what's, who's your friend? Who do you recommend somebody? And so uh, I had a friend who worked at KEH camera, works at KEH camera. He recommended somebody. And then that person recommended Bellamy Hunt. So like very early on, we were interviewing Japan camera hunter and like, 
at first it was supposed to be something that I had in mind of being a small local thing for the Atlanta film photographers. And then after we interviewed Bellamy, it was like, this is going to be international. Like this could reach around the world. And then we started looking at our stats and we were, you know, getting listeners on literally just about every single continent. And then that, that's where, you know, things kind of took off. And, and so, yeah. And then YouTube channel and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm working on trying to get myself, out of a rut, you know, burnout. And, you know, the, these are all real things. I'm sure we'll get into talking about these things because, mm. you know, COVID-19 oh, really threw a wrench in as far as my, my everyone's impression. work. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Oh, yeah. In my personal case, again, I also had a situation and again, I'm being, uh, my mom has had some health troubles over the years and I was the primary living caregiver and again, and she kind of re seriously deteriorated this past winter and she had to be hospitalized for a few months. And she's now, she's now in getting great care in a local nursing home, but it's like literally, uh, yeah, I've been sort of like distract. Like I've been shooting to kind of take my mind off the situation, but on the same token, I'm also, couldn't really go very far because I had to be available for phone calls from the hospital and fill out paperwork. Yep. And more paperwork. <laughs> oh. and it's like now I'm sort of giving myself permission. It's like, okay, during the week, because it's we're still dealing with a pandemic where we got the Delta variant up here. It's like during the week, I'll go out and play and on the weekends. I just hunker down uh, usually, unless I go to some place where I feel relatively safe quote unquote and yeah yep. it's fine but again it's like after a while it's like i'd like to explore but again it's like i'm gonna hold off until i get that second shot <laughs> no that that makes and a that's lot of been sense. my personal experience it's like i i, I yeah i, I want to day trip a lot more uh but yeah it's just a you know new material and stuff but it's like well what are you gonna do <laughs> yeah no um so you you mentioned earlier bill manning about uh about getting to speak to clyde butcher now i follow clyde's work on on facebook um i think for some reason he reached out and added me as a friend i think it was some sort of connection with um the film photography uh podcast at that point but his work is absolutely mind-blowing and you actually recently got to uh, go down and meet him and talk to him and I know that that interview has been in the works for a while so what was it like what is what is a photographer like um, Clyde like in person Gosh, um, he's an incredibly passionate person about not so much his craft but about the things that really matter to him, and that's the, the ecological preservation of the Everglades. Um, and it's really, and this is the, the amazing thing uh, that I think all of us here absolutely love, um, is the willingness to learn. And when I listen to Clyde, and, and I did have an opportunity to interview him similarly with you know via skype and that's an incredible youtube and podcast episode and 
and I learned so much from him, but like just to be sitting there and have a conversation with him, um, you realize that you're, he's just merely using his photography as a channel to express his passion for the Mm Everglades. And I think, I think once, and and that's something that I would love to get to a point with my photography. Like we can, we can geek out about gears and camera and lenses and all that stuff. Like, I mean, he, don't get me wrong. He loves to talk about, I mean, like he was talking about shift lenses, like every five (laughs) seconds when he could, right. Don't get me wrong. But, um, but that passion and being able to express it, um, you forget about as you as a photographer forget about the camera, and then at the end of the day, it's the image. Right. And um, I don't know that that's something that's that really resonated with me. I, and, and you see that with like the greats, Richard Avedon. I mean, a. There's a side of Annie Leibovitz that um, I had the opportunity to listen in on a talk, a photo talk that she gave in Atlanta. And, you know, she talked about photographing the people that were most important to her. And I felt like that that particular work, area of work for her was so much more impactful than the images that we know her, right? You know, the, these celebrities and like amazing, powerful people that she's photographed, but like the the images that she has of, you know, the people that were near and dear to her are just, I mean, there's something that you go, wow. Like, I mean, like you just, you can't, there's, there's, it's an emotion that you just cannot express. Right. And, and for folks like Clyde, you know, it's that it's a, it's a different echelon of thinking. And like, for me, that's the, that's the area that I want to be as a photographer. And, and I think mm. I've figured out where I would want to be and where I fit in that is that I know I love portraiture. I love photographing people in general. And when it, it's like something like I was terrified of street photography and like taking a picture of a total stranger. And now it's like, I get a dopamine hit off of that. Right. Like, I mean, like I, I, I can go down to a park and find somebody and be like, Oh my God, I love your hat. I love your hairstyle. Um, I love your shirt. I, you know, th- there's something that, you know, I'm going to be drawn to as a person. And it's like, I gotta photograph that. And like, for the most part, it's like, people are pretty cool with that. Right. Because I mean, you're complimenting them. You got a certain type of energy and confidence that the, what you're trying to photograph of a person is holistic. Right. Mm. Um, and so like, I'm, I'm figuring that out and it's like, okay, how do I take all these influences and, and mold it to being me? Right. And, um, I don't know what I'm going to do with those images. And I, I just, you know, we'll, we'll see as time progresses, like as, as Clyde has told me, I'm, I'm not even started yet. Right. Yeah. So, mm. uh, yeah, even even almost two decades on for me, um, shooting photography in any serious way, I'm like, man, I I've come so far. <laughs> I've still got a long way to go. I remember picking up my first uh, SLR and taking it out to a local small racetrack. First time using a match needle SLR, I got one good image. Mm. One on the entire roll of 24, at least I wasn't shooting slide film. 
Sometimes all it takes is one though. Oh yeah. Yes. It's one or two it's one or two good shots on the roll and it's like Yeah, my god. i think i'm sort of a similar journey because i've been shooting since seriously since the very very late 1990s and my late very late 20s almost early 30s i that's so long ago and i'm i'm feeling rather it's just like really now (laughs) and i think my photography it's sort of the same thing we all have our specialties and i'm sort of like stuck between sort of like urban streetscape and landscape but and we did a a recent episode where we talked about crap lenses but also our favorite photo books and and i said my landscape photography is influenced by this little uh photo book from the mid to late 1990s uh magnum landscapes and the photographers of the magnum agency and what they did and i said that that influenced me and i've been sort of photographing uh a rent both inside Toronto, but outside Toronto, sort of around Toronto, there's a region called the uh, GTA Greenbelt. And it's under constant threat from suburban sprawl development and more insidiously aggregate mining because it's like the insatiable need for concrete because of the building in in Southern Ontario is so insanely fast. It's like, I wanna, yeah, because like right now, just north of Bell Fountain, there's motion for a probably like a thousand acre gravel quarry that stretches yeah it stretches between roughly the Caledon Ski Club and roughly Alton and I want to sort of document that area the heaven forbid that goes through and it's like it's a very precious landscape because it's like it's a relatively coast drive but in another 20 years for me to go to countryside it's going to take yet another hour to go if you know the suburban sprawl is allowed to continue mm-hmm. and uh, i i'm sort of like right now doing a bit of a project that's going to be a zine at some point and it's i'm calling it the headwaters collection and it's sort of a combination of rural landscape and small towns sort of northwest of toronto and that's nice. been sort of like this summer project and then the, yeah we'll see how it, bears out but again it's like the same journey and i sit there going i've been doing this for 20 years and yeah my skills have improved exponentially even within the last five years but even then i sit there and i look at someone like lena besanova and i just sit there going yeah i am just a punter (laughs) (laughs) she you know i especially darkroom printing uh i'm saying this musing when we're allowed to travel internationally again i would dearly love to do and I have the money. I would love to do a darkroom workshop with her and have her hold over my shoulder and tell me, yes, you're doing it right here. No, you're doing it wrong. Do it this way. I had the hmm. pleasure to work with her on the Scala. Um, oh, uh, she process. loves Scala. Oh, she is. She is a master of Scala. And it's it, funny because she and hated well, it's funny because she's like a medium and large format shooter. And then it's like Scala is only available in 35 mil. And all of a sudden she's taken with like a duck to water. And it's like, I need my dopamine hit, my fresh like roll of Scala. I just, I just watched like the Instagram updates going, yeah, he processed yet another roll. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> gorgeous work. It I mean, is. gorgeous work, Jerry. He's going, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm a punter. <laughs> Now, 
I have not had the chance to uh, try out the new uh, Scala Reversal uh, developing kit. You have, Bill, and yeah. uh, what's what's your experience with it? Um, you know, it was I, I tr- definitely turned a mole hill, or what, what's the saying? You turn a mole hill into a mountain. Mountain. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a, I, I shouldn't use quotes if I don't know know right off the. Anyway, so um, it was something that I really was like, oh, my God, I'm going to mess this process up. And, like, I'm terrified and, you know, uh, really had a lot of hesitancy on it. But it was kind of funny because Lena was like, hey, you've done these videos for Sinistral Film and, you know, you, you know how to process film. She's like, we, we at Adux want to send you a scholar kit would you be interested i'm like lena i i would love to but i feel like i'm going to really screw this up and she's like you're not going to screw this up and uh and i love the way how she like uh like is so confident about that and she's like you're not going to mess this up i'm like okay all right just go ahead and send it we'll we'll try it out you know um you know and uh it's kind of funny story. Like when I first started getting into doing these like film processing reviews, like Cinestill Film sent me the DF ninety six. Yep. And I screwed that up. <laughs> it's a monobath. How do you screw up a monobath? But you very know, easily. Yeah, I, I have you know. I have had very little luck with monobaths, and I've done. I haven't tried the DF ninety six yet. Um, I made my own monobath. Ooh. Like from raw chemicals, I found something. I think it was on the Covington Solutions HC110 unofficial resource page, mm. and I made it using Ilford Rapid Fix ammonia and HC110, and I processed one roll through it and went, "This sucks!" and tosses <laughs> tossed it. I, I have never messed with monobath. Never will. It's got to be a three-step process, or I know I'm going to screw it up. Yeah. Well, because even, even though I have a buzz cut in this lovely recording session for those because we're audio, I'm blonde and it's my little disability and I've learned to live with it. <laughs> I will screw up the monopath. Got to be three steps. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of funny because like I like when I first like I was never really big into processing my own stuff. So like when it all started with the DF-96. I just put my film in the in the mono bath, processed it as normal, pulled it out and hung it up, and I'm like, this doesn't look right, you know. And I'm just in here, and so I'm you know message Andre over at Sinistil, and I was like, hey Andre, there's this something weird going on with this, and you know, we're we're troubleshooting it at all and all that stuff, and then he's like, did you did you rinse it? I was like, oh, you're supposed to rinse it afterwards, and he's like, yes, and I was like, well then it's not a mono bath. Like you got to rinse it. That's more than one bath. Right. You know? And so that uh, I, I will admit that that's, that's a, it's a running joke uh, between me and Sunny Cinestill uh, film. And yeah, I'm more than happy to admit that, but you know what, that, that was a failure on my part, but that's how I go with all of these engagements that I have with now with ad and, you know, even with Kodak, um, I have a, a, a beta of their new D, uh, D76, and um, 
and I'm okay with failure because I'm learning from it. And so like, even with when, uh, Adams, he reached out to me, I want to learn about this before, like I do a YouTube video and like, mm. you know, there's a, mm. no knock at any other influencer, I guess. I don't know, whatever, but like, you know, there's, they're posting videos of like literally the emulsion is like flaking off. Right. And they're like, Oh my gosh, it's awesome. And like, this is art. And I'm like, ah, this, no, that's, yeah. you know, no, don't, and, don't, you're, you can't, you can't play. This is a happy mistake. No, right. no, you failed. <laughs> right. So, um, I, in that sense though, it's like, I want to make sure that when I do a test, that when I'm working with somebody that I'm learning the process correctly so that I can instruct yeah. people uh, on YouTube how to do it. Now, the great thing is, is Adox has an amazing video on how to process Scala. I think mm -hmm. the only issue is, is that distribution in here in the U.S. is uh, very limited. Um, it's uh, even less limited up here. It's like yeah. we've got maybe one seller. He's fresh out of everything. Yeah. Like I cleared yep. out his ADOX CHS two one hundred black and white film, and it was all five rolls. So it was like, yeah. But generally, when I'm ordering ADOX products, I order it directly from Photo Impacts. Yeah, and I give myself two months lead time. Yeah, you have to, and especially the Scala kit is ORMD. Um, you know, it has to be shipped via ground, so like it's in a container, and it yeah. has to travel across the Atlantic. Can never go. Uh, be flown air so when they said they uh -huh. sent it to me it was literally a month and a half mm, yep. before I got it um, yep. so that's the disadvantage to it free cell photos says that they're going to be having it they have a date but it keeps getting pushed back um, yep. and I get a lot of IMs when I when I post a picture or a story on it I got people messaging me now saying hey can you process my own little Scala and I'm like I only got like enough chemistry now for like two rolls, right? And, Ooh. you know, Ooh. it's, it's, uh, um, send it to DR5. Yeah, send it to yeah. DR5. Bill, you, uh, you said something a little bit. You said Kodak sent you like a, a new, is it a new version of D76? I shouldn't have said that. Because I thought D76 has been around forever and a day. I use ID11, which is British D76. Mm -hmm. But are you saying that they revised the formula? or? Um, well, they went through um, a manufacturer change, right? Oh, so, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So there were some concerns early on that um, the chemistry was turning brown. Mm. And um, it does turn brown. Yep. And so a lot of people were really concerned about, you know, is this going to be good for my film? And uh, I was one of those people that had a certain batch number initially, and I reached out to Kodak about it. And I have a very good working relationship with the Lars. And so they said, hey, um, you know, this is a more of a beta test. You know, um, you know, you want to go ahead and try that out. So oh, okay. they did send it to me. Um, this is something I guess it's like one of the batches ahead of like whatever the next batch is going to be with this new Sino uh, Promise. Mm -hmm. uh, company and so um so i haven't tried it out yet i, I can't really speak to it yet um, okay fair I enough i just need to try it out i was just sort of curious about that because uh, there's not very many well say for the quote-unquote d96 monobath that's since still popped out there hasn't really been a lot of new developers on the market 
And I remember on our when we were doing our fireside chat back way back in December, which feels like a million years ago now. And you, there was some teasing that Kodak might have something to drop some point this year. And I was just wondering if there had there any been any further rumblings from Big Yellow Father or whatever they like to call themselves today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> honestly, they've been super super quiet now. Um, the reason why is that um, there is such a huge backlog right now with mm, yeah. this new sudden interest. Well, I don't want to say it's a sudden interest. It's been incremental. And then the way that Alaris is are very calculated people. So they've been hurt Always really been. bad. Yeah, they've been very calculated for a very long time. But like, you know, any kind of new risk that they want to take on it, they're very... Uh, uh, they, you know, they're not very bullish, right? So, um, so when when 400H was announced that it was being discontinued, it made them go back to the drawing boards because they are running at 100 capacity, 100% capacity for film. And so, when you're oh, wow. at literally 100% capacity on what you've already forecasted. And then you get something that shakes the industry so badly, like 400 H that they have to now say something has to give in order to meet the demand. Cause now the, the, um, the substitute for portrait 400 was 400 H that's gone now. So now the demand for 400 portrait 400 is going to skyrocket. So, yeah. So now they, they already had forecasted uh, probably for all of 2021. And so now they said, crap, we need to go back to the drawing board. We need to figure out how we're going to now all of us all of a sudden meet this demand uh, for Portrait 400. And, um, and so that's a, that's a very delicate balancing game. So they've been very, very hush-hush now, at least with me as well. And usually they're they're pretty like what do you want to know right um but they've been super super quiet as far as like you know what this year and their forecasting is because honestly I, I just don't think they really know what to do with this situation because they they're trying literally when i uh checked out and toured the kodak factory it was like one production line mm, okay and right. like their finishing line so like once the film is made in the canisters, it's got to go into a box, right? So uh, when we toured it, they showed us this finishing line. I was like, oh, cool, that's 35 and everything. And I was like, where, where do you guys do 120? Is that like in a separate room? They're like, no, we disconnect this machine, we roll out of the way, and then we roll in this machine that finishes 120. Yeah. And then I because looked at it and I said, demolished a whole bunch. Yeah. And I was like, hold on a second. This is the one, this is supplying film to the entire world. And they're like, yep. So literally one production line. Now that was in the middle of two, that, that was two years ago. Uh, no, take that back three mm. years ago. Um, so that, that was a very big eye opener. So to start mm. ramping up production and try to get another line to do two lines of, you know, uh, film production is, you know, a, a huge undertaking. And so, mm. um, so I, I have seen how difficult something like oh, that yeah. is for them. And so when I see another price increase, I look at it and go, I understand why, because I've seen it. 
and I'm probably like I'll shudder and like ah, damn it, not another you know price increase. But I understand why because they they just cannot keep up with demand, and this is economics 101. You know. Oh yeah, it's here. like it's scarcity, and it's like it's sort of like. Uh... I know with my personal workflow, it's Kodak film for color. And then I've got a few favorite brands for black and white. And it's like black and white, you've got options at the wazoo on the market, but color it's like Kodak is fast becoming until Orwo gets up and running with their C41 production, which who knows when, maybe 2024, 2026, maybe perhaps, I don't know, who knows? Kodak's the only game in town. Uh, so I don't know what's going on in China and I've never shot Chinese color film so I'm probably the last person and we don't know what's going on with Fuji because Fuji is a black box pretty much it's yep. like they do not engage the outside world at all and it's like we do whatever we want and you're stuck in their freezer yeah they're in their freezer they don't and, 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 and the amount of teeth grinding i heard through my network of fr photographer friends when 400h disappeared it's like yeah well that's fuji for you <laughs> mm -hmm. now there there is an interesting side of all that like i so some of the people that i know that are in in the industry that there were industry level rumors that fuji film was getting back into the filmmaking game and that Again, take all of this with a grain of salt. This is definitely 100%, you know, rumors and, you know, but whatever, take it for what it is. But like the, there were some of those in the industry that were expecting that 800Z was going to come back. And, um, and so certain film companies in the industry were banking on that happening and then COVID happened. Right. Um, and uh, yeah. and then at that point everybody's gone silent and all that stuff and and i think there's some really big supply chain issues at this point as well where uh there's shortages on i mean you we can talk about shortages in the bicycle industry right aluminum oh. is like a ridiculous shortage right oh there's a bicycle store in my town and it's a bit it was a big store and it's like three locations the location in my town is empty yeah they have same, no bikes to sell. It's, same it's thing. Same thing with film. There is an incredible level of shortage in acetate, and, oh, that's and, what, I, and what I've learned is that um, Kodak does not make its own acetate. No, that is they haven't a, made it for a while. No, they backed out of that, and so um, the the problem is is that all of these small film companies use the same third-party vendor for their acetate base well it's mm -hmm. it's weird because i'm a big fan of burger pancro 400 you can't find it in 35 millimeter i think downtown cameras down in toronto is down to like three rolls bnh is notify me when it's available i love that yeah. stuff my 120 i'm i'm down to 10 rolls i probably should just do an order with bnh and just clear them out because I love the stuff in medium format, but 35 mil, it's just like, 
Well, and, and, and I don't want this to sound like a knock, but like those types of brands, um, I would say maybe like second rate brands. I hate saying second rate because they're, they're fantastic films. So please don't, anybody. I, I call them more boot. I call them more boutique films yes, boutique. as opposed to, because it's like the 900 pound gorillas in this game or Kodak, Fuji, Ilford. Yeah. And so what's happening is, is that we have these boutique films we're like, well, we need this film, and, and you got companies like Carmen and Kodak. They're like, uh, we need to protect ourselves first, so we'll get around to you, right? So in these shortages, there was an announcement that took place where Kodak said, we don't have enough acetate to make Color Plus 200 and Portrait 100, so we're putting those on our um, uh, S-Star base. And so now this new base that they do make that is polyester is now made on that film. And uh, mm. some labs are not too crazy about this because it's created some issues with cutting and stuff like that because this polyester base is very, very tough. It's very terrible. Oh, I've, I've, mm. I've, yeah, I've shot JCH street pan on a yeah. few occasions. You, you need a sharp pair of scissors. Yes. Um, yep. So it's caused some heartache with some of the labs that I've been talking to. They're saying that they 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 don't like it, but um, you know it's better than not having Portrait 800. And you know, um, right. interestingly enough, I personally think Portrait 800 looks a little different. Um, I think it looks a little bit more like Portrait 400. Um, hmm. uh, but that's just me. I guess it's just because I've shot so much of Portrait 800 that it just you know, with some of the added benefits with uh, the S-Star base is that it's better transparency in the base. So uh, okay. in that sense, I think it does look different because it is a little bit more transparent. And um, the way that the colors render, it, it looks a little more like Portrait 400. I've been kind of disappointed in shooting it uh, hmm. recently. So, but yeah, I mean, never actually done it. it looks fantastic. Never actually done a head to head comparison, uh, Portrait 800 versus Portrait 400. So, interesting, especially if Kodak's running with a proprietary polyester base. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and it's, there's other concerns with that is that, you know, some of the great things about this acetate base is that, you know, you run into this in a camera and like you have a rather inexperienced shooter and then they start trying to advance and, you know, you get that last frame where you're like, uh, I can probably maybe kind of push that a little bit more and like try to crank out to get that last frame in there. Um, and then you end up stripping the sprocket or the purse. Oh, you know, yeah. you cannot do that. You are actually putting that at risk and damaging your camera because mm. it's just so tear resistant. That's why you don't see this S-Star base used in like, um, you know, motion picture because if mm -hmm. anything happens, it would destroy the camera in a heartbeat. Yeah. Right? So the whole point is that if there's some kind of malfunction that the film will tear away and you're at the most part saving the components of your camera. Mm. Um, but if you, if you do this on this new polyester base, it's not going to tear and you're just going to destroy your camera. Yeah, I'm always super careful when uh, shooting polyester-based films. So yeah, we're I... talking the, um, the Asturum, the uh, Sfema, line of films especially the hand rolled ones if they say 24 i usually just shoot them to 20. yeah, yeah i don't i don't force my films with polyester it's like okay we're done here 
Yeah, it's like the I guess I start getting that slightest resistance back where I'm like third frame thirty seven, and it's like, uh, yeah, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and rewind it and mm -hmm. and just not yeah. even try to try to force that extra frame anymore. So. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. That's interesting how even just raw materials are just because of the pandemic, it's like just not available. Yeah, I'm kind of curious, is it more are companies like Harmon and I guess you could say Eastman, because Alaris doesn't make their own film, they just sell it. I they I hope they're farming out to multiple vendors who sell acetate. Otherwise, if it's just one firm and then they're stuck in a hot zone, we're screwed. <laughs> it, it, it's hurting all the other companies, right? So, I mean, it's yep. not, not just Harmon, but like Lamar, if he depends on, on this company as well. And, you know, now there's a German company that, um, you know, is closely related with Oro and all that stuff that, you know, are providing the acetate for film companies in Europe. So it's like a very big um, mm -hmm. collaborative project as far as the film that's being made out there. A lot of people will jump on the gun and say that uh, Lomography film is just second-rate uh, boutique Kodak film. And uh, from my conversations from folks in the industry, it's it's more of a more of a collaborative effort with a lot of companies throughout Europe. Um, yeah, and it's not necessarily what you think with Kodak. Mm -hmm. Well, their their motion picture film comes from Orwo, so yeah. we know that one. Yeah. Mm. And then Agf is still out there uh, pumping out film for um, probably Japan yeah. Camera Hunter and uh, Rolly. Rolly. Mm -hmm. um, Adox has the capacity to make their own film too. They do. They've got it. They have their yeah. own coding lines. I think they got a lot. Uh, they're they're trying to get Switzerland up and running. Mm -hmm. but the pandemic been the toolbox tossed into the works because of the pandemic it's yeah like... switzerland is a uh, paper okay if i recall correctly yeah paper and raw chemicals in general is what adox is becoming most known for in yep. uh in europe as well so you know to kind of start putting pieces together you can kind of figure out on your own as far as you know, Agfa, as you mentioned, Alex, Agfa is still around. They're just not there as the Agfa brand, right? That's so, right. Um, so they at do this stuff point, for the Rolli brand, and mm -hmm. and it's just a battle for resources at this point, yep. right? So everybody, you know, the the big dogs get you know handled first. Kodak says we got to take care of ourselves first. Harman says they got to take care of Ilford first, and all of these boutique film companies are put on the back burner and then they try to yep. handle it as best as they can. And, you know, even, even at this point, you know, I've known for a while that like Stephen Dowling was, you know, working on a film that was in the works for a very long time. And, yep. you know, he went quiet for a while when we talked about this and then, you know, and that was in the middle of the pandemic. So it was kind of like, you know, I'm sure Ilford was like, hey, we got to take care of ourselves first, right? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, even Cinestill Film, you know, had their heartaches as well um, mm -hmm. with uh, Eastman Kodak and a lot of the movie productions that really got impacted by COVID and everything along those lines. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it was a crazy chain reaction that, you know, and everybody's still fighting for resources at this point. Well, yeah. I used to hoping things kind of normalized to a point with the supply chain. Mm 
Hope so. Yeah. Absolutely. Cameras can't feed themselves. Oh, uh, hell no. Nope. <laughs> they don't know how to load themselves either. <laughs> well, well I some mean, do. So I, I think this leads into maybe a good conversation, Alex, on an article that you wrote on our website. Um, where, you know, because of new films, you know, kind of, you know, the prices are crazy, increasing so fast on them that people are kind of turning to, to expired films or anything oh. along those lines. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I am sure that one of those roles got hit with a dose of radiation from Pripyat. <laughs> I am sure of it. Given the date it expired... Yeah, it, it's it's been a very interesting experience uh, seeing folks turning to expired film, and you yeah. know, uh, I, I'm not one like I like expired film, but I also don't like to leave things up to chance all that much anymore. Um, you know, I'm it, I'm very picky about where I get my expired film from, mm-hmm. and um, the uh, the types of expired film that mm-hmm. I get. I mean, the Sfema film I got just on a whim. I, I've never actually shot the original stuff shot made by the original, the original company in Ukraine. Only the, um, the Asturum produced stuff that you get from the FPP. So it was <clears throat> definitely interesting, but as I, as I wrote in the article, the best thing to do is to check the provenance of the film first, mm-hmm. check the condition of the box, um, go for the slowest speed possible mm-hmm. and compensate, 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 especially in your developing. I got silly lucky with some freezer store Agfa film from that was from like the early 2000s. I was gifted from a fellow photographer here in Oakville, a brick. I think I'm on my second brick of Agfa portrait 160. And it, was been freezer stored since 2004 in a chest freezer, probably next to a mafia informant. (laughs) (laughs) Sal, the the, Jimmy Hoffa. (laughs) I think Sal, the restaurant supply salesman, who's behind on his gambling debt. Uh, So this Agfa Portrait 160, I just exposed it 100 ISO, and it looks gorgeous. But it's a color palette that's not Fuji, not Kodak, and it's like. Old school mm. Agfa. And that was the other thing when I was using the Lomography F squared 400, when I had that little taste of Ferrania Solaris 400, I'm off sitting here going, oh, mm. Ferrania. Ferrania, can you, I know they're just struggling to keep up with P30 at this point. And it's like, and they got hit bad with the pandemic in Italy. So I don't know where they're at. Yeah, they were so close to getting the 120 going. I mean, it's just um, maybe we'll get it going next year. I think so. I mean, you know, I, I have conversations. It's been a while, but I had a conversation with Dave Bias, and you know, he he is a was very optimistic heading into COVID when um, you know with 120 making its way and everything, and you know, it's it's a. I, all I want to do is cheer them on. It's just like whatever bad yeah. news, it's like mm. just, you know, uh, wh- whatever I can do to help and like throw in an order for, you know, 10 rolls of P30 and 35 just so that I can just help them out. It's in the freezer. And, you know, yep. I think uh, I still have a couple of rolls kicking around. 
Yeah. I think I got about 15 rolls in my stash right now, and I, I want to shoot more of it this summer. I've kind of dialed in a, a, a nice workflow with it. I, I use ID11 as my, per, my developer of choice, and it just looks gorgeous. I've been doing it in uh, uh, Rotanol. Okay. Uh, and been doing, uh, they, they actually recommended this uh, process, but it's, I wouldn't even, maybe it's semi-stand. I don't know. I'll let you guys kind of make that decision, but it's um, 45 minutes. Okay. But, every, but one very slow rotation every 15 minutes. Yeah, that's semi-stand. Yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough. So um, I was like, all right, I'll do this. And they, they recommended us to avoid the bromide drag and all that stuff. And so mm -hmm. I did it, and I did it for a portrait shoot. And uh, I was on the Voigtlander 35mm Nocton uh, F1.2. Ooh, and man. so I was shooting that thing at like F2, right? And uh, I was like, these are not going to be in focus, right? And I did the semi stand on it, and like I was just blown away because it sharpens when you do that semi stand, it sharpens the grain, right? So yep. mm -hmm. this was probably some of the sharpest images that I've ever seen. And it was like, I never really thought about, you know, hey, I'm might be a little bit soft focus so let me go ahead and do the semi stand to sharpen it up a little bit and that was like the best decision i could have made because these images looked crazy sharp mm. so what dilution did you uh do it at one to 100 one to 100 yeah that's no. semi stand country for for 45 minutes yep. that's cool yeah. Oh hell yeah! I'll have to try that with a roll. Do it. It, it. You. It. It will retain that highlights so nicely. Like I mean, it just uh, everything about those images. That entire roll, I was like, you know, you you know, you look at a roll and you're like, oh, that's nice. All oh, right, yeah, that one. And then you know, you get maybe three or four. This one was like constantly. Oh my god, this looks amazing. Like it just that nice. entire roll was just. It exceeded my expectations, <laughs> and so at that point, I was like, "I want to do semi stand on everything," you know. And and then it's like I, I did it on uh, Tri-X four hundred, and it's like, "No, this looks terrible." <laughs> 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 Why did I do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rodinal is mm. great with slow films. Fast films, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I really like Rodinal. 1 to 50 Tri-X rated at 200. I think I did that For once like with... nine minutes. I shot yeah. it for a wedding and just like in medium format on a Hasselblad. Brilliant. Mm. Yeah, if you got a larger uh, surface area, so you can definitely pull it off with that. So mm -hmm. maybe not so much with the 35. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah, has anyone else uh, noticing how gear prices have just gone insane? Yes. It's it's one of those things like, uh, I mean, I can't be butthurt about the prices going up like they are because, I mean, nobody's making a new camera, new film. Nope. Um, so good gear is getting harder and harder to come by. Uh, I'm okay with that. Um, I think I'm looking, me personally, I'm looking in different directions. Like, um, 
and it kind of messed it up and no knock at Matt Day or anything along those lines. But, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try out 4 by 5 They're like, dude, come on, man. Like, literally, I'm getting really good deals on 4 by 5 lenses right now that are coming out of Japan. And he dropped that, and it was like the Schneider 65, you know, was like 250 bucks when I bought it. And, like, now it's like 400 I was like, mm. oh, my God. I, I mean, I'm glad I got in when I could, but um you know i'm just trying to look in other places that i can certainly explore with my photography because any 35 or medium format lens is just insane i'm sort of at a point it's like i i was on a bit of a gear binge <laughs> those who follow me uh i was on a gear binge this past winter and spring and now it's just sort of like yeah i'm good you know, it, it's just like now it's film yeah, and maybe a lens or two, but even then it's like, yeah, I'm not in a huge rush, but it's more like, you know, dial in the film pros, make sure I have the inventory. So I'm not going to be freaking out going crap. I'm down to like four rolls of Ektar 100 mm-hmm. and it's going to be X number of days before, you know, the little care package arrives in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will admit I've kind of changed my angle with that. And um, I'm not buying so much as in gear, but I have been buying up art. Mm. Um, I have, I, when I went down to visit uh, Clyde, I did buy a print from him and uh, oh, it's beautiful. Not, uh, cheap. No. Um, but it has been a print that I've been wanting for years. I've never had wanted art for something that I wanted holistically for myself uh, for Clyde's, right? You know, and um, and so I, I hung this print. It's of the Badlands and the Buttes of the Badlands. It's a it's a mm. beautiful image. It resonates with me because his story has a lot of parallels with some of my photography, where you know we we both woke up really early in the morning to go photograph a scene and we had this crappy weather and uh, we said, we're not going to do it. And then that little voice in our head said, no, we got to do it. And we went out there and did it. And, and, you know, for me, it was the TA Moulton barn at, um, at the Tetons. Uh, for him, it was the, the Buttes and the Badlands. Mm-hmm. And so there was just so many parallels to that story. And it's a, it's an exceptional image and um and it was an image that i've been wanting for a very long time and and so when i was down there and i told my wife i said if we're going down there and we're going to interview him i'm going to buy this print and so i did have spousal approval on this purchase but um very but, important yes uh, i never thought that i would have to to think about purchasing art like that but like uh i have some of Joe Greer's prints. I have um, Linus. Um, you know, a lot of people in the community that I've I've purchased work that I really enjoyed. That I don't want to say like, oh, it's going to have value. You know, 20, 30 years. That's not the reason why I bought it. It's bought it because a I wanted to support artists during the 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 um, uh, during mm-hmm. COVID. But additionally, this, this is work that I felt like that was impactful for me. And so now I'm hanging this up in my house um, and I have a print from uh, Dan Rubin in here. So these are people that are friends of mine and everything. So I'm, I'm shifting up my, my gas for not so much gear itself, but more so for art and prints. 
art acquisition syndrome. Mm. Yeah, it's a whole yes. different rabbit hole. I've been sort of more photo books. Yes. Oh, that too. And, and, that and too. the problem yeah. is, it's like with a photo book, I'm kind of like, I'm less one to buy it online. I like going to a store that has a decent selection. Unfortunately, mm. live bookstores with decent photography selections are very thin on the ground. I think the last one I was in that had an amazing photography section was uh, the Strand Bookstore in New York City. And you can get lost in there. I could probably fill a shipping container on 12th Street. <laughs> Granted, the New York Parking Authority would not be happy with me putting a shipping container there while I fill it from the bookstore. Um, <laughs> but it, it's sort of like stuff like that. Like, uh, I think the most recent one I picked up was Todd Webb's New York. And this is a not a f- super famous photographer, but he, he shot on a five by seven after World War II in New York City from roughly about 1946, probably about 1957. So it was a period in New York City before modernism, like the Mies van der Rohe modernism as we're familiar with it, like the, the International School of Architecture really took hold. But it was like that sort of gritty New York where you had the Second Avenue elevated railroad and uh, it was, it was a really neat book and I got a copy mm. for myself and I got a copy for my brother and who shoots five by seven and he loves it. Nice. I've, I've been, I've, I've been busy making photo books, mm. like just getting out there and, and taking ideas that I've had swishing around in my brain and, and working on getting books done. Mm. I've been sitting on a zine idea for a while and I got the film built up for it. And uh, it, what started off as a running joke between me and Dustin Cogsdale, um, it, who, who also lives here in the Atlanta area as well. Um, we have this going back and forth where I've lived in the Metro Atlanta area for all my life. And uh, the running joke is nobody calls Atlanta hot Atlanta. Only, only the, uh, the tourists do. Right. And, uh, and so I came back at him and said, no, I call it Hotlanta and I've lived around Atlanta all my life. Right. So, and so the running joke now, so I have, uh, several roles, uh, and now that it's officially summer, so I'm, I'm going to be pulling those out of the freezer, but I have several roles, uh, red scale. Mm. Oh, nice. And, uh, I even have it down to, um, 110 and so i have a friend that's let me borrow the uh the cute little pentax 110 camera the it was oh, okay. S110. Mm-hmm. yeah and um and so i'm gonna do a whole series of atlanta in red scale and then i'm gonna i don't know the title it's still a work in progress for that but it will be called you know i call it hot atlanta or um you know hot atlanta or whatever and then i'll have a small little page dedicated to Dustin Cogsdale and is saying that, you know, this book is dedicated to Dustin Cogsdale. <laughs> it's not called Hotlanta. Uh, and then do Then I call it Hotlanta would be the perfect title for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'd be perfect. <laughs> so I, I'm going to do, I'm doing it this year cause I bought it and then I forgot about it. And then the, um, by the time I was like, I'm going to do it, fall came around. I was like, that wouldn't make sense because it's got to be during the summer when it's the most hot, you know? So, absolutely, uh, yeah. So, uh, so, uh, now it's officially summer. I'm going to actually crank that out and I got a whole bunch of 120, 35 and 110. Mm. 
I have I have never been to Atlanta. I've been to um, Savannah, yeah, but but never Atlanta. It's a very. I cool have place. I haven't been through that part of the U.S. at all. Like I've been through L.A. once on a layover. I am most familiar with Chicago, New York, um, mm. New England. Yeah, it's it's Atlanta. I would compare Atlanta to toronto on steroids like toronto is steroids and then like atlanta is maybe like a corner of toronto oh, okay yeah. okay yeah <laughs> basically so, toronto yeah. with a slush <laughs> <laughs> and a wind chill <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh we get hot weather weather up here like it's been up and you sit there going wow atlanta weather followed me <laughs> well you know it's kind of funny because uh so my wife and I, we went up to Niagara Falls a couple of years ago. And uh, so Niagara on the lake was part of that. And um, so we went into Toronto for a day and all that stuff. And we were a little bit mind blown because they had a uh, heat advisory. Um, and I think it was like at 28 degrees Celsius or something like that. And like I did the conversion and I was like, that's like only 90 degrees. Why are you guys like freaking out about 90 degrees Fahrenheit, right? Like that's weird. That's yeah. a normal summer day. And then somebody explained to me like, well, most people uh, in that area do not have AC units because it just doesn't oh, normally There are some cities there. in Canada that don't have AC because it yeah. just doesn't get that hot. No. And <laughs> it's sort of like, I don't know, Atlanta, Texas not having snow plows because they don't get snow and Right. Well, who knew they got a snowstorm <laughs> and an ice storm, and right. oh well, it's just like we're left sitting here going, "Oh, welcome to my universe." <laughs> <laughs> Whole cities shut down over two inches of snow, and yeah, we, we just, we just call it Tuesday. Going, oh, you guys are nuts. <laughs> yeah, we just got yeah, it's Tuesday. Whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had to explain what winter tires were to people in Tennessee. Yeah. Because I had driven down to Tennessee and it was snowing in Ontario, and I needed my winter tires, so I drove them all the way down to Tennessee and back. Oh my gosh! Uh, thankfully, they were already on their last legs, so yeah, they wouldn't notice it. At least they're not racing slicks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that that area of um, Canada is just absolutely beautiful. I love uh, I love everything about Niagara on the lake. It's one of those. Yeah. It's like it's the little wine country that yeah. Like everybody goes to Niagara uh, Falls and everything along those like like huge tourist trap area and everything like that. But once we left that and then we were in Niagara on the lake for like a week, like it definitely has its touristy areas. But like no, it was like nowhere near as what it was or crazy mm. as it was yeah. like down at uh, Niagara Falls, and we absolutely Niagara Falls is that. kitschy. It is. Yeah, if you like kitsch and if you're aiming for that, Niagara Falls is where you want to wind up. Niagara on the Lake is highbrow because they've got like the uh, the Shaw Festival. But the weird thing yep. is, outside the festival, then they around November they go into a Christmas season, so. I was down there fall, late fall, 2019. It was like walking into a Hallmark Christmas movie without the snow on the ground. <laughs> but I was sort of thinking it would become some weird dystopian, uh, you know, science fiction where 
it's like a Hallmark Christmas week, but you can't escape it. <laughs> it's Christmas all the time. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> and yeah. but it's actually it, it's, a, it's a very photogenic town. Like I want to mm. get back down there even for a day trip. I, I want to definitely do it during the week. Like I would go there on weekends. That's the best thing to do. Uh, no sane person would. <laughs> <laughs> But there are other great parts just outside of Toronto, like uh, Alora, which is sort of about an hour and a half northwest of Toronto. And it's yep. a really gorgeous little town. And mm-hmm. I know a film photographer who lives just east of the least east of Toronto. He loves going to Prince Edward County, which is another wine region. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's just a little too far away for a day trip. And you have to go across Toronto. And yeah, Toronto, it's like people don't understand the concept of the 401. It's like, oh no. <laughs> it, it, picture picture the, your, your worst freeway in Atlanta and times it by 100. Uh, you know, we were leaving Toronto right during rush hour traffic, so I know exactly what you mean. Uh, that was <laughs> it an brings experience. The it brings out the worst in humanity. You sit there going, I thought Canadians were nice people. <laughs> you know, oh my God, you took the words right out of my wife's mouth. Yeah. yeah. It's like the um, dark side comes out. And it's like, oh dear Lord, we're not going, we're dating them now. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's kind of funny with, with all that being said, though, I mean, you know, we, I've been to uh, uh, Halifax. Mm. Um, Another great city. I have fallen in love with, uh, everything Nova Scotia. Um, uh, Peggy's Cove is an absolute favorite. One of my favorite images was shot there. Mm. Um, and it is an area that you quickly forget you're, you're still in North America. Right. Um, and, um, I mean, Nova Scotia rough, you know, exactly translate new Scotland. Right. So it very much feels like you are, somewhere in the middle of the uk right and um well especially when you get it to uh cape breton island mm -hmm. i mean like just driving through it i'm like oh yeah this reminds this is this is scotland yeah Mm. until you get to fortress louisburg and then you're right right new france (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's true though but i mean um you know that that's a place that my wife and i agree that once COVID is over with that that's going to be a place we're going to go back to hmm. um you know she this may be that uh, i don't know how you guys are going to react so i'm really curious to see how this is how your reaction is going to be but uh we really want to go to montreal to see the uh, to stay in the ice hotels uh during february or december through february okay um, nice uh, oh, that'd be cool um so i think literally um, yeah that's true um but like there's like a whole big festival like we've been watching uh, and i'm not gonna lie i mean i'm definitely a millennial but we were watching samantha brown right and so um so she covered a lot of stuff in canada and so we were like oh my gosh that's amazing we have to do something like this there Um, are there are some great um camera stores in montreal that support the film photography community oh cool um photo service um right in old montreal and old montreal is just oh, montreal, favorite. I, could, I could kill a brick of black and white film regardless of you know it, it so easily my photography literally clicked in old montreal oh, cool. when i went there the first time just like 
I could see a huge difference from my photography before I went to Montreal for the first time and after. Oh, cool. So, and then Quebec City as well. Also a great, great place. One area I really love photographing is the Muskoka region north of Toronto. And how I get there is I take Highway 35, not the main highway, which again, you don't want to see the dark side of Canadians. It's like, it's not, it, it, it's like, it, it's sort of like that house at the end of the street. It's like, Oh dear Lord, are we going to live? <laughs> Highway 35. It's like a two lane road and you're going past through small towns and you're going to be blown away at what you can see just from the side of the road. Mm. And you, uh, what I always tell people, it's like, if you're going through, go through Dorset, like get off 35, drive through Dorset. There's a one lane bridge mm-hmm. crossing the channel between Lake of Bays and I guess the appendage of Lake of Bays just east of it. But it's like, there's a, a tourist boat called the SS Big Wind, which is like this steamer that was built probably over a hundred years ago. That was the ferry between Dorset and the Big One Resort and the resort's gone but the boat still goes mm. along strong every season and again I tell people go through there you'll you'll love it and then uh, that's your main route into Algonquin Park which is sort of like this natural gem yeah the trouble with 35 is you have to avoid doing the loop through Lindsay Oh, I, I cut north of Lindsay. Like I cut across, I take the 404 right to the top. I cut across through Cannington. Yep. And I just take a back road that takes me to 35 and I just go north. <laughs> See the uh, the next place on our list um, it's during the pandemic and discovering all the new shows and everything. We religiously watched and binged on Shit's Creek. Um, oh, I know where they <laughs> shot it. Yeah, and, and it, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, this place has got to be like some podunk place in like South Carolina or something like that. And then uh, and then when we went to research it, it was like this nice, actually very nice area right outside of Toronto. I was like, oh, we got to go back to this place. Oh, we gotta I, go I, I, would gladly, I would gladly take you there. There's a little town just north of it called Uxbridge that has a tourist railway. So it's like a bit of, and they have an Art Deco movie theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like um, the exterior shots were shot in Goodwind, but the motel was shot west of northwest of the city. So it's like two separate locations, but the majority of the exterior shots for the small village were shot just south of Uxbridge. So it's like yep. probably take over an hour's drive when there's no traffic. Yeah. Yeah. When I, I, I preface, there's no traffic. <laughs> <laughs> So definitely going to go, uh, you know, my wife and I have been seriously talking about going back to Canada. So definitely uh, hit you guys up. I know you guys are just in that Toronto metro area. So we'll definitely uh, hit you up and we'll do a big old photo walk and oh, hang out sure. with Mr. Caparici and all you guys. So make it yep. a big. We'll, we'll get Caparici up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Um, I love Studio C41. I love writing for the website. Um, where can we find your work online? 
Uh, well, I mean, it's a big collaborative. I mean, you, you uh, Alex, uh, certainly are helping us out wonders um, with uh, the written content. Um, as I've mentioned earlier, that you know, it's in a bit of a creative slump, and uh, after having this interview with Clyde, has really you know rekindled the fire and everything. So um, you know, I'm in a phase of thinking about doing a lot of things, and so. I, I like to think things to the T and, and, and then I start to execute once, you know, I really thought things out. So, uh, by you helping out with the written content, man has met, it helps worlds. I sincerely appreciate all of your help with it, man. And, um, so to find our content <laughs> on there, um, uh, it is studio C41.net. Uh, you can check out the most recent great article that Alex wrote uh, on expired film uh, there, uh, as well as some of the uh, latest happenings in the news there. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at studio.c41 uh, and my uh, random thoughts on my mind uh, at studio uh, underscore c41 at Twitter. So, And then what about your personal photography work? Ah, yes. Uh, you know, it's kind of, a you know, uh, with the editorial stuff and everything along those lines, that's a uh, Bill Manning photo. Um, but you know, that's digital stuff as well. God, God forbid I mentioned that, but you know, we uh, have no problems with digital. <laughs> People think we do, but we really don't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but, um, those are going to be more of my portraiture work and stuff like that. And, uh, how dare you? That's blasphemous. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, studio C 41 is pretty much where I'm posting. I want to say at, uh, pretty close to daily there. And, um, you know, a lot of my workflow is pretty much filmed now these days. So mm. I like to post out there unless if it's something that I feel like it's going to fit my portfolio. Bill Manning photo. That's it for another episode. Again, thank you, Bill Manning for uh, joining us. Uh, my name's Alex Lokes. Uh, get out there, stay safe, get vaccinated, make something cool happen. It's Bill Smith. And again, thank you, Bill Manning, for joining us tonight. And again, uh, stay cool, shoot tons of film. And yes, get vaccinated so we can all meet up on one big mother of a photo walk. And shoot some film, dang it.
you guys hear me right now? We can hear you. Yes. Yeah, I can't hear you now. <laughs> oh, man. Why? 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 Why does this always have to happen when I'm the guest? Everything works perfectly when I'm the host, but everything goes to shit when I'm the guest. Why do I have to be the problem child? <laughs> okay, maybe we could call this a Studio C41 episode. And, and I can't hear you because my speakers aren't working. <laughs> the best part is, is this is recording, so I'll probably throw this in at the end. <laughs> oh my God. Come on. This is fucking ridiculous. Oh my God. This is, this is terrible. Alex, please tell me you're recording this. This is all being recorded right now, isn't it? Oh, is yes. It? Yes, it is. I see you guys nodding. This is going to be This is like, B-roll, um, Mr. Manning. Rules. This is B-roll. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <sighs> Fucking finally. Checking, checking, one, two. Hi. Hey. How you doing? Uh, you know, uh, good. Everyone's like, I thought I was having a bad day. Oh, Bill came along. <laughs> I, this is my second one. I had a couple glasses of wine. I promise you it has nothing to do with it. So, um I, I was just sort of thinking, are you, are you were you pre-self-medicating for the technological disaster that follows? <laughs> this system, so this is the Zoom H6. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. an incredible piece of technology. I use this to record my interview with Clyde Butcher. It worked flawlessly. Why is it not working now? It's the exact same setup. It's most frustrating. Hmm. So, I don't know. So I got cables everywhere, and this room was clean. So past chance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me see here. Microphone. So if I tap on this, oh, which one? Is that you hearing coming from this no, one? No, but we hear your audio just fine. Okay. You're good. Okay. All right, I just want to make sure it's acceptable for you guys. We don't stand too much on audio quality. Okay, fair enough. 